0: what's up this your boy big man you already know what it is man so let's get right to it okay so today we're gonna be talking about YFN Lucci now YFN Lucci just got into the news lately because of something not related to his other court case now what I mean is he was sued by a rapper him and PMB Rock to be exact man now the last time we checked in with YFN Lucci he had just been released from jail after being charged with murder and a couple of other charges involving a shooting that took place in Atlanta, man. It was a real wild situation, and it's gone kind of quiet, man, because, you know, the folks, they were basically coming for wife and Lucci, and they got him. He was arrested. I did several videos. They dropped a 911 call that led to, the, to his arrest. They also, man posted the fact that he was out on bond it was a whole bunch of stuff going on with yfn lucci last month or even should i say the month before that now the last we heard of him he got out and now we're going to be talking about this court case now in the court case it looks like him and B rock were being accused of taking somebody's song for their hit every day we lit now yfn lucci and his camp has yet to say anything about this situation. But p and Rock and them got taken to court. And I'm going to tell you how it went. Not in their favor. Now, before we get into the specifics, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And man, let's get it. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this YFN Lucci p and Rock court case. Now, to be honest, it was more directed towards p Rock. Because in this story, it talks about uh, the fact that YF and Lucci might have already made some type of separate agreement for this situation. Now, it doesn't go into any specifics, but this is the case, man. So there's a New Jersey rapper by the name of Rat Boy Cam. Now, Rat Boy Cam was suing PMB Rock and YF and Lucci. And he actually won the lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit was a copyright infringement case. And it was over the song, Every Day We Lit. Now, for those of you who don't know, YFN Lucy Man was on a tear for a while. He had a whole bunch of hit songs that came out, man. And Every Day We Lit was one of them. Now, it was featuring a Philadelphia rapper by the name of PNB Rock. Now, a lot of you might not be, you know, up on game about PNB Rock. Even though he's pretty significant in the hip hop game around that time frame, you know what I mean? He's gone a little quiet since then, but you know, during that time he was really, really lit out here, man. No pun intended. Now, in this lawsuit, it was saying that PMB Rock and and the producer June James had stolen from this New Jersey rapper Rack Boy. Now, Rackboy had a song called Everything Be Lit. Now, just off the name, you could tell they're similar. Now, when I listened to both songs, I mean, I kind of heard what was familiar between the two, man, you know, the similarities. But it looks like, man, my opinion doesn't matter because a judge, I mean, basically awarded uh, Rackboy $1.7 million in a judgment, man. Now, this is what it says in a complex article in the news. It basically says this. It says, in 2018 lawsuit, in a 2018 lawsuit, excuse me, Rackboy argued that the song Every Day We Lit, on which the three aforementioned artists were featured, is deeply similar to his effort, Everything Be Lit. Earlier this month, Rackboy's lawyer, Christopher W. Nero, secured a significant copyright infringement victory that netted his client over 1.7 million dollars since an agreement was already reached with wife and Lucy like we said earlier and think it's a game records the judgment was made against p Rock and the song's producer June James now this gets really interesting because it, the way that they split it up so basically in the judgment they said this he got over 1.4 million dollars in cash, or he was granted 1.4 million dollars in cash, and close to 268 thousand in, in prejudgment interest. So a running and a running royalty plus costs and injunction against James and Allen's exploitation of the infringing work. Man, that sounds like they threw the book at PNB Rock in there, man, because. That, yeah, that counts up to about $1.7 But then the running royalty and all that and interest, man, that's, that's crazy, man. So, dude took to social media, and a lot of people have been talking about this, right? I've seen Say Cheese posted earlier. I've seen a lot of different news sources posted. I think Complex News is the closest to this situation. But it looks like... And he's behind. Not, not, not behind, but he doesn't want to do the payments anymore. Yeah, I know that situation for sure. Is there anything, cause I I, I wanna be like really uh, clear on it, but is there a way to help someone who just wanna get out of their payments? Yeah, absolutely. So anybody- (laughs) Well, one is
1: take the course and just (laughs) enjoy it.
2: That's a fact. So if someone doesn't want their payments anymore, they don't wanna pay their car note, whether they're down in a situation. For example, somebody's in the army, right? they're now getting deployed, or, or the people on reserve, they, they're now leaving the country, and your car's now just sitting there. Right. But you still get that email saying, the car knows nah, that, that's the worst thing in the world, paying for something that you know you ain't using, right? Right. Not only that, the car is actually rotting away. Cars are meant to move, so mm-hmm. if it's not moving, the parts are gonna be real sticky, and it's mm-hmm. not gonna be working real well. So you reach out to a person like that or a lot of people don't know they can reach out to me directly. If they knew, they would, but the other people don't know that you can either, you have a couple options. You can have one of your friends, your brothers or sisters rent out the car for you or you can use a, a rental car management company that exists to put it on Turo and have your car, car being used for you. But some people say, well, that's my personal car. I don't want to rent it out. And this ain't for you because if you got a emotional attachment to cars, that's the issue in attached. itself. My, in my course, I teach the mindset of why are we having emotional attachments to these cars. Yeah. The feeling that you get while driving the car only exists while you're driving the car. For sure. And <laughs> only for like that first year. <laughs> I got a section called <laughs> buyer's remorse. Yeah. That's the worst. When you buy a car, I'm like, dang. You like the car the first month, second month, then you see the new version of the car next year. Not even next year, six months later. Yeah.
0: Like, dang, that
2: got all the features. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine don't got all that.
0: Especially like when, you that. Get, when you first get a car, you don't eat in your oh, car. Oh, you Lord know what I'm saying? your car. <laughs> uh,
2: you, your car is so dirty that when you get a a, a random person who want to ride with you, like you got to let them know up front, yo, my car, wasn't ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> every Every time. My car dirty. Don't judge me You're every right. time, but the beginning—it's normally
0: cleaner than this I... before. <laughs> hey, you, you want to ride with me? Right, take your shoes off. You saw that? <laughs> that's that new car. That's that new leather smell.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> hilarious. That's real. All right, so
2: so
0: who do you recommend the Toro business for?
2: So really, I recommend the car rental business. So you don't necessarily have to. So not just Toro, just car rental period, there's so many platforms. Mm. There's Fetch Truck, so if you have a truck that's just sitting there doing nothing, there's a platform just for that. Your seats are all all, like- Oh, every platform. We we talk about rental utilizations, meaning you don't even have to rent a car out on short-term basis like Turo. You can rent it out just for photo shoots, just for weddings, just for car shows, right? mm -hmm. And you can develop your own customer base using social media, websites, Turo, the benefit of Turo is they provide all-inclusive platform for you to be able to not have to worry about really not, not, nothing. They provide the clients, the background check, the messaging portal, the um, payouts. You don't have to get your own payment processor. Mm. They provide all of that. I
4: mean. However,
2: you do not have to use them. You can use your own platform if, and depending on your utilization, people book cars just for photo shoots or video shoots and say... Say you wanna book your car, I don't want nobody driving my car. I get it, I shouldn't be using this car as just a liability, I wanna make it an asset, but I still don't want people driving my car. So I'm gonna just do photo shoots, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: video shoots. You drive the car there and nobody's driving it. They just get in, take their pictures and get out. That's a crucial model.
0: And you make 150, 200, 250. I'll, I'll,
2: I'll be double dipping, I'll do a photo shoot for one hour, somebody pay me three fifty for a picture of an i8, or two hours, and then that same day, somebody will book it for the day. Mm. I can double dip. You can do multiple photo shoots in one day.
1: Wow!
2: It's all about the marketing. I do that with my Airbnbs too. My Airbnbs, people think that you just because you have keys to, to a condo, is only used for overnight lodging. Yeah. There's a platform called Peerspace where people go, you know Peerspace, Space. Yeah, that people, sure. people can book your, your spot for an event, photo shoot, meeting, yeah. and that same night you can have a check-in for Airbnb, double-dip. Mm. So you get to the bag out here, man. Yeah, it's only through experience. I would never have known all this if I didn't actively touch people. And the more, and here's the part, the more I share this information, the more opportunities of what I can do was shared with me. People say, oh, you know about this platform too? Dang, I didn't know about it. Somebody put me on to a fetch mm. truck. Somebody put me on into a higher car. I didn't know about higher car, because if I did in the beginning, I probably would have bought a bunch of Hyundai Sonatas, 2018 Hyundai Sonatas for $16,000, and rented mm. it out to a nurse or an Uber driver who needs their car and is willing to pay $400 a week. Mm. Like my, my Kia Stinger is a luxury economy car. It's like a high-end Kia. It's like a, it's, it's dang near a, a sports car, but it only cost me like twenty three thousand dollars. And with Uber, they keep the car. It's a long time. Yes, yeah, that's what the beautiful. That's the beautiful thing about doing business with a business, B two B, because they need this to make their. Income.
5: Another common example of mortgage fraud here in Nevada is using false information on loan applications. Now, to today lending standards have become much more strict. And uh, lenders will want to verify your income and your assets and your debts and and your taxes before authorizing a loan. But back in the day before the market crashed, there were lots of mortgages that were issued based on what was called stated income. And... Uh, the sort of gain get, to the industry, liar loans. Liar loans because people would lie. They, they would lie about their income. They would lie about the assets that they had for collateral. They would lie about their debts and, and, and liabilities. And, and none of this w- w- was really verified. And what I think a lot of people didn't realize or, or didn't sort of pay attention to at the time is that they were signing under penalty of perjury that all of this information was true and correct. And today what we're seeing is state and federal authorities going back and prosecuting many of these people for mortgage fraud, for perjury, based on this misinformation uh, that they put in their applications. And the reality of the situation is that a lot of these uh, uh, listing agents and and uh, escrow officers and and lenders had an incentive to push these deals through. They wanted their commissions, and so they would really coach the loan applicants in what they needed to say to meet the lending standards, to get the loan, even if that meant providing misinformation and the culture in the industry sort of became that that this was just how things were done these were how deals were made this is how people got their homes this is how people made their investments everybody was doing it it wasn't seen as something that was unethical or illegal and people who did provide misinformation and, and perjure themselves never imagine that they would someday face the consequences of being prosecuted for a felony and going to prison for what they did.
1: Everyone knows that I love reading books and I want to tell you guys about the Rick Ross book. It's called Hurricanes. I'm going to give it to you guys free of charge using Audible. The link will be in the description and the link will be in the first comment. All you have to do is click the link, follow what I'm doing on the screen, or just click the link and it's free of charge. If you don't like the service or if you don't like Audible, if you don't like audiobooks, you can cancel the service or you can leave their actual company and you get to keep the two free books it's free of charge zero dollars if you're looking at the screen so make sure you click the link in my description or the first comment and make sure you enjoy that rick ross book that will be the book of the month so tap in and let me know thanks so much for getting to this video i want to let you guys know about my tube tool buddy tubebuddy.com slash strong a lot of people been hitting me up yo how do i get my channel to the next level Click the link in the description or the first comment, or you can just go to TubeBuddy.com. It's T-U-B-B-U-D-D-Y.com slash strong. It'll let you sign up for free. That way you can take your channel to the next level. That's it for today. I'm signing out. I'm in the news with it, and I will catch you on the next one.
6: Little Dirk is one of the most notorious rappers in the Chicago drill era of hip hop music. With almost five million followers on Instagram, it's safe to say that Little Dirk has a solid fan base that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Dirk's melodic style of drill music is a big reason why he stood out compared to other Chicago rappers during his rise to stardom. But just like most the other Chicago rappers. A big part of Lil Durk's appeal was the authenticity of his music. You knew that Lil Durk was rapping about real-life experiences and not just some make-believe nonsense to sell records. In addition to that, Lil Durk was also respected by a lot of his peers due to his efforts of speaking out against gang violence in Chicago. And the reason why he gained so much respect for that is because Lil Durk actually lived that kind of lifestyle before rapping, and wants his fans, or just anyone in general, to know that gang life is not something that you ever want to be a part of. Curious what kind of street antics Lil Durk got into? Well, we have you covered. Here is an exclusive inside look at the criminal history of Lil Durk. Little Dirk had his first documented arrest in October of 2011. According to multiple reports, Little Dirk was charged with a few different gun charges, with the main one being possession of a firearm with a defaced serial number. A gun charge is no joke in Chicago, so this was a pretty serious first charge, especially with the serial number being scratched off the gun. Having no serial number gives the cops a good reason to think that the weapon is being used for criminal-like reasons. At his sentencing, Little Dirk pled guilty to a reduced charge of aggravated, unauthorized use of a weapon. Little Dirk spent three months in jail and was later released on bond, but was later sent back to serve 87 more days. Even though this was Little Dirk’s first conviction, it still made Dirk a convicted felon. Little Dirk's next arrest was on June 5th, 2013. According to court records, Little Dirk was hanging around on South Green Street in Chicago when police approached him to investigate a call of a man with a gun. This must have caught Little Dirk off guard because he apparently took a loaded 40 caliber handgun out of his waistband and quickly threw it in his car. Little Dirk... Obviously wasn't very stealthy when doing this because the police clearly saw Dirk do this, which gave them enough probable cause to search his vehicle. After a quick search, Chicago police arrested Little Dirk right on the spot. Dirk's charge was unlawful use of a weapon by a felon. Little Dirk was held on a $100,000 bond and his lawyer would later claim to have nine affidavits from witnesses who can confirm Little Dirk was innocent. One witness even admitted that the gun was his and not Little Dirk's. Dirk was released about a month later on July 18th, 2013. Little Dirk's next run-in with the law wasn't an arrest, but rather a shootout that took place while he was on tour. Sources say that a shootout happened just hours before Little Dirk's scheduled performance at the Theater of Living Arts in Center City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The shootout left Little Dirk's tour bus damaged by gunfire and also left one man dead. Little Dirk was not arrested or questioned by the police. No other updates were made public on this situation as well. This next incident is just an update from when he was arrested on June 5th, 2013 on felony gun charges. According to court records, Little Dirk was ordered to court on August 19th, 2016, where the judge dropped all of his charges. The judge must have noticed that he was changing his ways and admired that he was speaking out against Chicago gang violence. Shortly after, Little Dirk moved to Atlanta where he became completely focused on music and even claimed to be a studio rat. Little Dirk managed to stay out of trouble for about three years. But it all came to an end after Dirk became a wanted man by the Fulton County Police Department. Multiple reports claimed that Little Dirk had a warrant issued for his arrest and planned to charge Little Dirk with criminal intent to commit murder, aggravated assault, possession of a firearm during commission of a felony, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and associating with a criminal street gang to participate in a crime. And here's the kicker. All of these charges stem from the King Vaughn incident that we covered in a video a few days ago. The link to that video will be in the top left corner and in the description below. I highly suggest you check that out to get more details on this situation. Anyways, Duke's Jeep was allegedly the car used in the shooting, and Dirk, Vaughn, and another OTF affiliate Bay Zoo, or Zoo were all reported to be in the car at the time of the shooting. Since the situation was so serious, Atlanta is charging all of them with the same charges regardless of who actually pulled the trigger. King Von was the first to get arrested, and then it was Zoo, and now all that was left was Lil Dirk. A few days after hearing about the warrants for his arrest, Lil Dirk posted on his Instagram story, turning myself in tomorrow. This was a huge shock to his fans, since nobody expected him to be involved in a shooting, especially after all his success. The next day, Dirk dropped a song called Turn Myself In. And just a few hours later, he actually did turn himself in. Little Dirk kidnapping
5: is an extremely serious crime here in the state of Nevada. Kidnapping is divided into two categories. First degree kidnapping and second degree kidnapping. First degree kidnapping is defined under NRS... 200.310 as abducting or carrying somebody away for the purpose of committing a sexual assault, extortion, or robbery, or for the purpose of killing or causing serious bodily harm to somebody. And the penalties for first-degree kidnapping are up to life in prison. Second-degree kidnapping would be all other forms of kidnapping. And that would include, for example, a couple who are having an argument in a car and the passenger says she wants to get out of the vehicle and the driver says, no, I want to talk. You're coming with me and drives off. Technically, the state could charge that as a kidnapping because you're carrying someone away against their will. Your purpose may not be to cause any harm to them, but the mere movement of someone against their will can constitute kidnapping. Second-degree kidnapping carries a penalty of up to 15 years. And in any case of kidnapping, NRS 193.165 also provides for an additional penalty of up to 20 years if a deadly weapon is used in the course of a kidnapping. We've seen a lot of media attention here in the state of Nevada, particularly in Las Vegas, regarding homeowners association fraud. And we saw a lot of schemes here where there was rigging of elections, where homeowners boards were stacked And decisions were made about how to go about spending money that the homeowners contribute to maintain their residence for improper purposes. Homeowners association fraud can be broken down into three distinct categories. Category one would be embezzlement or theft. Category two would be election rigging. And category three would be bribery embezzlement involves taking money. That's intended to be used for the benefit of the homeowners or condo association owners and using it for some other purpose, such as, for example, if a member of a homeowner's board paid their own bills, uh, with money that belonged to the association. Or, um, you know, charge things, charge meals, charge personal meals um, to the homeowners association when they were not being used for some community service. Election rigging has to do with falsifying ballots, um, engaging in behavior to manipulate people into voting for certain members of the board Uh, in an immoral or unscrupulous manner by offering some types of favoritism or kickbacks. This would be uh, election rigging. And election rigging is a felony here in the state of Nevada and carries a penalty of up to four years in state prison. Finally, bribery would be uh, an arrangement whereby members of the homeowners association board, steer a certain contract it could be landscaping it could be pool cleaning it could be doing repainting of the structures inside the homeowners association where they pay a contract to the provider of the service and money is clandestinely returned to them as a kickback for steering uh, certain projects to a particular vendor
0: What's up? This your boy, Big Man. You already know what it is, man. So let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about YFN Lucci. Now, YFN Lucci just got into the news lately because of something not related to his other court case. Now, what I mean is he was sued by a rapper, him and PMB Rock to be exact, man. Now, the last time we checked in with YFN Lucci... He had just been released from jail after being charged with murder and a couple of other charges involving a shooting that took place in Atlanta, man. It was a real wild situation, and it's gone kind of quiet, man, because, you know, the folks, they were basically coming for wife and Lucci, and they got him. He was arrested. I did several videos. They dropped a 911 call that led to, the, to his arrest. They also, man... Posted the fact that he was out on Bond. It was a whole bunch of stuff going on with YFN Lucci last month. Or even should I say the month before that. Now the last we heard of him. He got out. And now we're going to be talking about this court case. Now in the court case. It looks like him and B Rock were being accused. Of taking somebody's song for their hit. Every day we lick. Now YFN Lucci. And his camp has yet to say anything about this situation, but PB Rock and them got taken to court, and I'm going to tell you how it went. Not in their favor. Now, before we get into the specifics, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button, make sure you hit that subscribe button, and man, let's get it. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this YFN Lucci PB Rock court case. Now, to be honest, it was more directed towards PB Rock. Because in this story, it talks about uh, the fact that YF and Lucci might have already made some type of separate agreement for this situation. Now, it doesn't go into any specifics, but this is the case, man. So there's a New Jersey rapper by the name of Rat Boy Cam. Now, Rat Boy Cam was suing PMB Rock and YF and Lucci. And he actually won the lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit was a copyright infringement case, and it was over the song Every Day We Lit. Now, for those of you who don't know, YFN Lucy Man was on a tear for a while. He had a whole bunch of hit songs that came out, man, and Every Day We Lit was one of them. Now, it was featuring a Philadelphia rapper by the name of PMB Rock. Now, a lot of you might not be, you know, up on game about PMB Rock. Even though he's pretty significant in the hip hop game around that time frame, you know what I mean? He's gone a little quiet since then, but you know, during that time he was really, really lit out here, man. No pun intended. Now, in this lawsuit, it was saying that PMB Rock and and the producer June James had stolen from this New Jersey rapper, Rackboy, Boy. Now, Boy had a song called Everything Be Lit. Now, just off the name, you could tell they're similar. Now, when I listened to both songs, I mean, I kind of heard what was familiar between the two, man, you know, the similarities. But it looks like, man, my opinion doesn't matter because a judge, I mean, basically awarded uh, Boy $1.7 million in a judgment, man. man. Now, this is what it says in a complex article in the news. It basically says this. It says, in 2018 lawsuit, in a 2018 lawsuit, excuse me, Boy argued that the song Every Day We Lit, on which the three aforementioned artists were featured, is deeply similar to his effort, Everything Be Lit. Earlier this month, Boy's lawyer, Christopher W. Nero, secured a significant copyright infringement victory that netted his client over $1.7 million. Since an agreement was already reached with YFN Lucy, like we said earlier, and think it's a game records, The judgment was made against pB Rock and the song's producer, June James. Now, this gets really interesting because the way that they split it up. So basically, in the judgment, they said this. He got... Over one point four million dollars in cash, or he was granted one point four million dollars in cash, and close to two hundred and sixty-eight thousand in, in prejudgment interest. So a running and a running royalty plus costs and injunction against James and Allen's exploitation of the infringing work. Man, that sounds like they threw the book at PNB Rock in there, man, because. That yeah, that counts up to about one point seven million. But then the running royalty and all that and the interest, man, that's that's crazy, man. So dude took to social media and a lot of people have been talking about this, right? I seen Say Cheese posted earlier, I seen a lot of different news sources posted. I think complex news is the closest to this situation. But it looks like re- the penalties Are up to
5: five years in the state prison if force was involved, up to four years in state prison if there was no force, and if the panderer uh, forces someone under the age of 18 to engage in sex, the penalty is up to 20 years in state prison, and if no force was used with a minor, it's up to 10 years in state prison. Additionally, the fines can be very severe, up to a half a million dollars for someone convicted of pandering. There are a variety of circumstances in which self-defense may become an issue in a criminal case. Uh, It could be a situation where somebody uses deadly force and they've killed somebody. And the defendant is claiming I use that force to protect myself or to protect somebody else because under the law in the state of Nevada, you have the same right to defend yourself as you do to use self-defense to defend somebody else who's in a position of vulnerability. Additionally, under the law in the state of Nevada, you have the right to use deadly force against A burglar that comes into your home with the intent to commit a felony or cause substantial bodily harm to somebody. We represent a lot of people involved in disturbances, fist fights, often alcohol is a factor, but it's very common in Las Vegas, people are coming to have a good time, and sometimes You know, things get out of hand uh, and people get into fights when they're out trying to have a good time. Um, It's not uncommon in those situations for the police to come and just arrest everybody and charge everybody with a crime. Uh, However, there's nothing in the law that says that you have to tolerate someone else's abuse. So if somebody else is physically aggressive with you, um, you have the right to defend yourself. So if you've been charged with a battery and that battery stemmed from some type of, of, of quarrel um, where you felt legitimately that you had to defend yourself and used physical force in doing so, um, it's important that you hire an attorney that will aggressively defend you and assert your right to self-defense in order to either uh, convince the prosecutor to drop the charges altogether or uh, to win your case uh, with a self-defense argument at trial. Another area where self-defense can come into play is with rela- in relation to battery domestic violence, a quarrel between, for example, a husband and a wife. Um, often it's a neighbor that calls the police. The police come, they may hear arguing back and forth. In Nevada, most often it seems that law enforcement tends to arrest the, the person that got the worst of it. So that if somebody has a mark, the presumption is, well, the other party was the aggressor, the other party should be taken in. But it doesn't always work out that way. It could be that, um, that the person that has the injury is the one that started the fight. And it's not always the man that, that does the battering. Sometimes, um, you know, a woman might throw something or a woman might swing at, punch her domestic partner. And the, the man might simply be responding or defending himself in those situations self-defense certainly may come into play and an aggressive uh, defense attorney will assert that uh you were only you you know you were exercising your right to self uh to, to defend yourself which is which is perfectly lawful i'm attorney michael becker with the las vegas defense group if you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you and your future. The majority of automobile searches involve situations where a driver simply consents to the search of his vehicle. You as the owner of a vehicle have the absolute right to not consent to a search of your vehicle. If law enforcement believes they have probable cause, they may choose to search your vehicle without a warrant or they may choose to detain your vehicle to such time as they can get a warrant from a judge for permission to search the vehicle. But if a law enforcement officer asks you for consent to search, you have the absolute right to say no. They may try to tell you, look, we're going to get a warrant. All you're doing is delaying the process. And only you can decide whether under those circumstances you wish to consent rather than avoid delay. My suggestion is to simply say no when asked by law enforcement for permission to search your vehicle and instead call your
4: lawyer right away. And get a cashier's check and go home. I just pulled my money off my credit card and I got reward points because I was on a cruise ship. So since you're on a cruise ship, you get five points per dollar. So since I'm on a cruise ship, I get five points per dollar. I literally got chips (laughs) with the room key. I could max every card off if I wanted to and go home with the cashier's check if I needed to use it to invest, whatever I needed to do. And I still accumulated the reward points. So if I needed to go buy a house, I literally can go on a cruise, three days for two hundred bucks. Go pull off fifty thousand, come home with cashier's checks, and go do my investment. But you so you, that's, this guy is dangerous.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nah, so, wait, so when you take the twenty, nah, no joke. So when you take the twenty, you are paying the twenty back, but you yeah. are
4: redeeming the rewards points that come with spending that amount of money you can keep the reward points that's the perks and benefits of having credit um and that's one of the main perks and benefits of having credit i tell people is that credit cards versus debit cards is that you spend your cash you get nothing back Mm -hmm. you don't get big interest from letting it sit in the bank right but what how do we actually use the bank to for benefit what do we get from the bank like and one of the things is that why they incentivized it was the reward points. But a lot of people in our community don't have that information and know how to use the incentives that they give us. We don't even do the research. research. I feel like like, that's like the fine line. Like nobody's
3: reading the fine line like, yo, you get this, these. I mean, the the most we ever look at is like, yo, can we get airplane rewards or airport Mm -hmm. rewards and hotel rewards?
4: But there's so many other things like. (laughs) that you can actually be using this (laughs) for. Yo, listen, right? Is that one of the key things is this, right? Um, Today, you know, I got on recession proof, right? Um, But I'm an advocate of my community. I'm an advocate of where I come from. Some people will be like, yo, it's ignorant, y'all. We shouldn't wear designer clothes. We shouldn't do this and and do that. Um, Wear support black, whatever it is, whatever you want to wear, where naturally... You know, things that's made from natural products, not cotton. Um, I like wearing nice clothes. Louis Vuitton, Fendi right now, some of my favorite, Dior. Um, But I know everybody, a lot of people in the community this is what they're after. These are the things that they desire to wear because it gives them status, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of a sense of status, and I'll keep it a buck. It is. It's a sense of status that people want something that costs more, something that's extra flyered in, and make it separate. We got people growing up that, and kids that don't know how to actually go and get it without doing something illegal. Right. So they go and selling drugs and robbing people for these designer clothes because nobody told them that, hey, listen, you can actually be an entrepreneur and learn business or you can leverage credit and get it for free. So what I did was this. I started going Um, I don't I don't want to spend my money on stuff. I'm cheap. Right. I really don't like spending my money. So when I get designer clothes, I get it for free. I'm not going to spend cash. So in order for me to get designer clothes, I say, listen, I can run up my reward points. And then redeem the the transaction. So when I go, like I went and went to Louis Vuitton, spent 6000 right? Mm-hmm. Like $6,500 in Louis Vuitton. And I literally redeem my reward points to cover it. How do you get the reward points? People don't know is the benefits of a credit card. Like you said, your gold American Express card alone gives you four to five points per dollar. Four to five points per dollar, every dollar you spend on running ads. So you mean to tell me you're going to incentivize me making money with your money. Here's a hundred thousand dollar credit card. Go run and and spend it. Run ads to market your business and get in front of people. And I'm going to give you rewards for using my money. I ran a hundred thousand on ads, made um, had 000, 000 a million dollar month. On the back end, they gave me seventy five hundred. Can we not let that just go? Everybody's head? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> we just going <calling> breeze past that. <laughs> I mean,
4: congrats to you for that. <laughs> nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but that is it, is that. Even with that, I'm gonna stay on that and the power and, and nobody can say it's not power in a black dollar, right? Because that is the black dollar. These are things that are in services and um, the community I've built for our community. And so this is our money circulating within our community. Mm-hmm. But I literally this is the the point is that the information I literally ran off my my Amex Gold, spent a hundred thousand, rung back a million. And then got uh, close to like nine thousand reward points. So then I redeemed it and went shopping at Louis. Spent six thousand. So when you, are you redeeming it? Are you
3: getting a, a gift card to the store? Like, are you getting like a SAX card, or how does that
4: work? Well, no, nah, I literally went shopping. Uh-huh. Swipe my card when I go sh- shopping. In the uh, event that that is advantageous to their position,
7: so. This is subject matter jurisdiction in a nutshell. That is one of the initial topics that you will cover in civil procedure. Some of your professors may begin with subject matter jurisdiction. I begin with the next topic, which is personal jurisdiction. So I'm going to talk about that right now. Personal jurisdiction also relates to where can this lawsuit be brought. So we've talked about federal versus state court. A very important initial determination. But we haven't talked about geographically which federal court we're talking about. Are we talking about a federal court in Tennessee, Vermont, etc. Where is this going to go? Personal jurisdiction is an important limitation on your choices in that regard. You can only Bring this lawsuit in a court that would have jurisdiction over the defendant. So subject matter jurisdiction is jurisdiction over the topic of the lawsuit, over the subject of the suit. But you also have to have jurisdiction over the defendant or the defendants, if there are many defendants. Personal jurisdiction rules lay that out. So, here, we have a situation where there's a plaintiff from New York and a defendant from Texas. What courts might have jurisdiction over this dispute? Well, one easy one that you learn about is Texas. Because the defendant is from Texas, you can sue them in Texas for anything. I'm from Virginia. Anyone who has a legal dispute with me can come to Virginia and sue me here because I'm a citizen of Virginia. Again, you'll learn what it means to be a citizen of a place. You're not just a citizen of a place because you're physically located there. There's other things, subjective and objective, that go into that determination that you'll learn about. So, Texas courts could hear this case. They would have jurisdiction. Would New York courts have jurisdiction over this case? Well, the defendant's not a citizen of New York. The plaintiff is, as you'll learn, doesn't matter if the plaintiff is a citizen of the state in question, that's not going to render the defendant subject to jurisdiction there. Uh, that doesn't mean this case can't be litigated there. Under what circumstances might this case be litigated in New York and in a way that there will be jurisdiction over the defendant? If the car accident happened in New York, If the car accident happened in New York, then you can sue the defendant in New York regardless of where they're from. Same thing if we were talking about Wyoming. Can this case be brought in Wyoming? Well, not based on the citizenship of the defendant, but if the car accident occurred in Wyoming, then we don't have a problem. It can be litigated there. So personal jurisdiction is gonna be based in part on citizenship, but mostly what you're gonna be studying is the circumstances under which jurisdiction is based on the incident and the defendant's connection with the state through the dispute or through what happened that gave rise to the dispute, something we call specific jurisdiction. So personal jurisdiction is something that is a very important initial determination that has to be made before you can select a court where you're going to litigate a case. Now personal jurisdiction is not the end of the where. We're still dealing with this where question. Federal versus state, we've already determined that. Personal jurisdiction, I've given you some sense of that. There's another requirement, and this is called venue Now, you would think we've done enough to figure this out. All right, I've got the federal court. Now I know I can go to Texas because the person's from Texas. That's not good enough. Why not? Because if we're in federal court, there are four districts in Texas. Texas has four federal districts. New York has four federal districts. California has four federal districts. Virginia has two federal districts. Some states only have one district like Delaware, Maryland. So venue is based on congressionally enacted statutes and that tells us which district among all of the 94 federal district courts we can use to bring this case. So I may have personal jurisdiction throughout Texas over this person, but I need to know which district to go to we're talking about an individual defendant here who's from Texas, we we need to know which part of Texas he is from. Taking Virginia as an example, I live here in Charlottesville, this is in the western district of Virginia. So if someone wants to sue me in federal court, there's citizenship in Virginia, so Virginia state courts and federal courts would have personal jurisdiction over me throughout Virginia. But if this person brought the lawsuit against me in Richmond...
8: Like, like, they're not doing any research themselves. Nobody's... Trust me, I guarantee no reporter picked up the phone or went to the prison... Or, sorry, went to the jail or wrote a letter. Nobody tried to talk to, to Lugo. Doesn't even matter. The point is, is most of these newspaper. Are, Newspapers will just get this article or this press release from the U.S. Attorney and just rewrite it. And so I read uh, like three articles, but they're all basically the same. They have a little bit different information, you know, slightly different, but it's all pretty much the same. So here's what apparently Lugo was doing because you can't go open a company so. You know, you can't open a company and then turn around and apply for a PPP loan because the IRS is or whoever's handling it is going to go, the COVID Relief Foundation or Fund or whoever's handling it, they're going to look at your application and they're going to say, this thing was open two weeks ago. How is it you have 30 employees that you need Five hundred thousand dollars to continue to pay. That's just that, that that's not how it works. So you have to get existing companies. And sometimes those existing companies have to have filed taxes. So it sounds to me like what Lugo did was he went and he got now keep in mind a lot of these times you can get these companies you can buy a comp. You can go online and buy a company that's been in existence for years. So it's like a sh- it's like a shell company, and so you go buy a company that's been in existence for years, or you can go to, um, you can go to the uh, um, Secretary of State's websites for most states. And if somebody has a corporation that was open 10 years ago and maybe they paid their fees for two years and then they stopped and the the company's inactive, you can typically go and just pay the back payments, the back fees, the annual fees on those companies and take that company over. So now, then if you really get creative, you could actually file back taxes for the company you don't have to pay in you just have to file so sounds to me like what he's doing what he did was he lugo's not that smart though by the way he's not gonna figure all that out what he's most likely did and what it basically seems like it says in most of these articles is that He went to one, a couple of companies that he already owned, and he applied for PPP loans in those companies' names, saying, hey, I have employees that I have to pay, and um, the company's been around for so many years, and I have 10 employees, and I need $300,000 or $100,000, or whatever the amount of money is, and I need that money to pay my employees, and they, they then say, okay, wait, well, the company's been around for five years. I can see that it claimed taxes last year and okay, give them the money. So it's like, it's just boom. They're just giving them the money. He did 70 companies. He applied for loans and the it ends for 70 different companies and it based on what The uh, articles say it sounds to me like what he did was he went to friends and family and probably, probably friends of his family, like, you know, a friend of a friend, anybody that he knew that owned a company or he could get to you and you know, somebody that owns a company. You know, I'll give them this much and I'll apply for the PPP loan because he's having success. And he probably goes and says, no, no, you don't understand. You just here's how it works. And, you know, you put it in such a way that it makes that sound like, look, you're going to get $100,000. I'm going to give you $20,000. I'm going to do all the paperwork and you're not going to have to pay these people back at all. So it's a free $20,000, whatever that's, whatever his agreement with those people is. Are. Because let's face it, he's not, they're not going to do it for nothing. Well, it sounds to me like that's what he did. And he applied for 70 different PPP loans uh, to the tune of $5.8 million, nearly $6 million. It sounds to me like he got out over a million at least. I mean, just the numbers that they're throwing down here. I mean he's gambling. He lost sixty something thousand dollars at a casino. He spent three hundred and fifty thousand dollars on something else. He paid off uh you know, some luxury uh SUV. He did I mean he, he's Buying uh, all kinds of designer uh, clothes and designer, you know, t- all kind of jewelry and, you know, all that stuff. And he's living in a big house and he's renovating houses. And he, look, he, need to, he He probably got a million, maybe two million dollars. I think he pulled out, I think he pulled out, they said he pulled out in cash, $350,000 in cash. That's what they can't, uh, that's just what the, what the. What the FBI or whoever arrested them, uh, that's what they can't account for. Like, we can't account for this because he got that out in cash. Everything else they can kind of figure out. So you can imagine what you can buy.
9: Today's question comes from Stephanie in Nevada. Uh, Where do collections fall in Baby Step 2? Do we pay them first or in the order of their balances like everything else. If you've got outstanding, defaulted, bad debt, set that aside. You're not paying on it anyway. And and finish your debt snowball in baby step two that is your regular, active debts, things you're paying payments on. List your debts, smallest to largest, pay minimum payments on everything but the little one, and work your way right down that list. Now, once all of your active debts are gone, then take all of your defaulted in collections that you're not paying payments on debt, inactive debt, and list its smallest to largest. Only we're not going to pay them payments. We're going to just pay them off smallest to largest now if it is a small debt under three hundred dollars you call them up you get in writing by email or something like that what the balance is not verbal over the phone it's an old debt you don't want to send them 275 dollars from a six month ago bill and then them come back and say we you owe us 1275 dollars because we added late charges And they will do that kind of crap. So every time you have an old debt, before you pay it, get in writing what it is. Now, if it's a small one, just pay it. So you knock out the little mosquito debts, the $52, the whatever debt, right? All the little mosquitoes flying around your head, knock those out. Then when you get to the larger ones... Then you call them up when you've got a little bit of money and you make them an offer and say you owe them $3,000. They say you owe them $3,000. You look it up and go, my goodness, I was $1,000 on a credit card. They sure have added a lot of late charges and a lot of gotcha fees, a lot of collections fees to that. So I'm probably going to offer them $1,000 on that $3,000 in quotes balance, but it was originally 1000 bucks." So I'm probably going to offer them about what you you originally owed or maybe even less, but pennies on the dollar, 25, 30 cents on the dollar. In cash, as an offer, do not give them any money unless you get the agreement to the amount that you want to pay in writing. And you'll have to work your way through that, argue your way through that. It's not easy. Never send money. Collections people money if you don't have the amount in writing first. You can tell they are lying if their mouth is moving. There are one or two good people in the business, and the rest of them are scum. They lie. All the time. We work with them all the time. Credit card collectors, a hundred percent of you that are credit card collectors lie. A hundred percent of you lie. And if you say you're not lying, that was a lie. It's that simple. So that's who you're dealing with. Now you owe money and you didn't pay your money, so we're you know, we're not giving you like a pass here. Uh we're not setting you up to be the next Pope or something, but The deal is you need to get your bills paid, but do not believe them. Oh, well, you know, little Joan. I talked to Joan on uh, February the 3rd, and Joan told me to send $293, and it'd be cleared. Well, Joan just lied. If you don't have it in writing, it didn't happen. That's what an old lawyer friend of mine used to say. If it's not in writing, it didn't happen. So in writing, on a piece of paper, on an email, Print it off. Keep a copy of the money order that you send them. The second thing is you do not give them electronic access to your checking account. After you agree to a certain amount, they're going to want to draft your account for that amount. Once again, have I mentioned that they lie? They will take more out than they have agreed to. Try getting it back. Good luck with that. Oh, you told me it was going to be $293. You took out 1200 bucks. I can't pay my house payment. Oh, well, we changed our mind. Sue me. This is the kind of crap they say to people all the time. No electronic access to your checking account. They will clean your butt out. Do not trust them. Get it in writing and then send them a check. Or set up a prepaid debit card that has just that amount on it only and draft that and then cut that card in half and do it again. If you're going to use a checking account, don't put any more money in the account than the amount that's agreed and do not use that for the same account you pay your bills out of because they will clean you out. Do not have automatic draft from your payroll put into an account that a I wanna talk today about Padilla motions. Now, in
5: 2010, in the case of Padilla versus Kentucky, the United States Supreme Court ruled that if a criminal defense attorney fails to explain to his client the immigration consequences of a criminal conviction or a plea, or fails to research the matter, then that could be considered ineffective assistance of counsel, and sometimes you can withdraw your plea and start the case over. And I'll give you an example. Suppose you're charged with possession for sale of methamphetamine. Now, there's no question that that is a conviction that will trigger immigration consequences. It will get a non-citizen deported from the United States and make him or her unable to become a citizen later on. Now, suppose the attorney says, look, it's fine. You go, I got you a great deal. Just plead guilty. Don't worry about deportation. Nothing's going to happen. So you go ahead, you sign the forms, you plead guilty. And sure enough, a year later, you get picked up by ICE and put in removal proceedings. And now you're facing deportation. Well, that may be a situation where we can run a Padilla motion. And if successful allow you to withdraw your guilty plea, negate the conviction, start the case over, and then work to resolve it in a way that's not going to cause you to be deported. Now, keep in mind that Padilla only applies to cases or convictions that occurred after March 2010. But even for cases before that date, there may be other avenues of post-conviction relief. So if you're in a situation where you're about to be deported, you've been convicted of a crime that triggered immigration consequences, we invite you to contact us. We may be able to make an effective Padilla motion or find some other avenue of post-conviction relief to ultimately keep you in the United States and resolve your case successfully. The police have the lawful right to approach anybody on the street. Sometimes it could just be uh, what they would uh, deem to be a consensual encounter. The police walk up, how are you doing, where are you going, questions of that nature. There's nothing unlawful about the police endeavoring to engage in a consensual encounter. However, if the police want to detain you, they have to have either reasonable suspicion that you've committed a crime, in which case they could detain you briefly for the purpose of asking you questions. If they, in the process of interacting with you, have some type of reasonable suspicion that you uh, are possessing some type of firearm or weapon, For their own safety, they would have the right to do a pat-down search of your body to see if they could feel a weapon. If they felt something that appeared to be the weapon, they could then go into your pockets and pull it out. If there was a container or something that was not a weapon, they wouldn't have the right to search that container. Um, If uh, the police observe you commit a crime and they have probable cause to arrest you, they do have the right then to frisk you and search your person. Uh, If if, uh, the police pull you over in your vehicle and they suspect that there might be some type of contraband in your vehicle, um, most commonly they might ask for consent to search for your vehicle, but if you refuse to give consent to search the vehicle, they would either need to have probable cause and some type of exigent reason why they had to search your vehicle at that moment, or they might actually have to go and secure a search warrant to enter your vehicle. So ultimately, um, what's really important to know is that you don't have to consent to a search by law enforcement, whether it be of your person, of your car, or of your home. Um, law enforcement will often be very crafty in how they seek to obtain consent. Sometimes they might say, we're gonna search your vehicle, okay? So they, they ask the question in such a manner where it seems like the only appropriate response is, yes, okay. But uh, it's okay to say, no, I don't consent. to to a search of my my vehicle. And uh, there have been some recent developments in the law which basically say that an individual needs to be, you know, assertive about protecting their rights. So if you see a law enforcement officer and they're going to open your trunk, if you just stand by idly, it may be uh, interpreted as implyingly consenting to the search of the trunk of your vehicle. And so you have to be a little bit more proactive. You have to say, excuse me, I want to make it very clear that I'm not consenting to you going in and searching my vehicle. Um, Ultimately, if the police engage in a search that's unlawful, either because they lack probable cause, um, they lack consent. In the case of a home, most particularly, they lacked a search warrant then you can file what's called a motion to suppress and the court would then conduct a hearing where all the facts surrounding the issue of the search and possible consent would be brought before the court and it would be the burden of the state at that point to prove that the search was lawful if the state was unable to prove the lawfulness of the search and the motion to suppress would then be granted then in most circumstances, for example, if the evidence that was recovered was drugs and the motion to suppress would was granted, then the drugs would be suppressed as evidence and the state would not be able to go forward because, um, because the evidence itself would be suppressed. So the motion to suppress in relation to Uh, unlawful searches can be a very effective tool for a criminal defense attorney to uh, obtain either leverage to negotiate a better deal for their client or ultimately to uh, have a case dismissed because evidence is suppressed. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you Or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in las vegas or throughout the state of nevada trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future
4: and so from there um that's when i realized like we closed it out i got that behind me and then i started figuring out um You know, me, I worked in banks. So, like, knowing all the bank procedures, but I know I can't go back if this holds above me. You know, I couldn't do it while I was fighting the case. Mm -hmm. So, at that point, that's when really I started really learning and digging into credit because I had to figure out, like, yo, I have to now have my own bloop, my financial backing because there's nowhere else for me to get, you know, I can't go to work kind of money i want to make i can't go to work so i need some kind of fund some kind of trust fund behind me and i started digging into credit really getting heavy into that um and then leveraging everything i did working at the banks and ended up actually even going back to a bank getting back in and and kind of helping people and then that's when the credit stuff started because i couldn't work a job because i was used to making money already that's crazy, man. I
3: mean, I read your story. It was like you've always been an entrepreneur, and so to even have the sixty thousand to beat that—that
4: that, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so, did, was nah, there, I had to make payments. <laughs> I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna front. I mean, nah, I, had that, to make, I had to make payments uh, to get it done. Yeah, I mean, But well, well,
10: yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where it's like. Sometimes everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Well, not even sometimes, everything always happens for a reason, right? And it's like, um, like you said, between the ages of 18 and 25, especially for anybody, but especially young men, especially black men, Mm -hmm. it's very tempting. You have a lot of temptations. You have music, you have just the culture, society, and a lot of times, you know, we want to get to the finish line a lot quicker than we should what our parents, what our grandparents would advise us, and you know, a hard head makes a soft ass. That's, yeah. that's just. The I, I, was,
3: I, I was actually thinking like, <laughs> "Yo, know, life is fast. I'm to move quicker." Yeah. And then on the other part, it was like we always talk about this line, like We like, "Yo, change is to cop, but more important is lawyer fees." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this. Like well, got prime yeah. example. Shout
10: out to Hov. Yeah. But Sweet. but the, the shining light in that for me is that. You, you know, saying that you was in the financial space and me being in the financial space, I know anything on your record like that, it prohibits you from a lot. Like ever really working in the financial space. So it's mm-hmm. like so now you're forced to kind of figure it out. You still have a financial space mind, but yeah. if that didn't happen, you probably would have just been a regular corporate worker maybe. But now you have to like kind of force yourself into be like an entrepreneur on the credit side and learn credit. And then that blossomed into where you are now.
4: So learning what happened was, is that I thought, I said, listen, my goal wasn't even getting credit. I started learn. I learned credit when I was 18. Um, My broker, my real estate broker had a credit repair company. I did all the underwriting. But my goal, when I started messing with credit, I go, "Okay, I need to get mine together. Right. So I start focusing on my credit, figuring it out. And. When everything happened, I never, like literally the day was January 4th. um, It was January 4th, 2015. um, When the case closed and was done. January 20th, I started my credit repair company. Between that time, I was figuring out what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? I started messing with my credit and then I said, well, I'm going to help other people. And I remember putting it out there like, yo, I'm going to help other people with their credit, right? I'm leveraging mine. I figured it out. See, people need it. I remember I, I made $11,000 1st month. Boom. I go, okay, I got something. Start slowing down. And I remember like leveraging, like starting to build my credit up and figuring out what's the benefits because I knew it was more. It had to be more than get a, buy a house, buy a car and get a credit card just for emergency purposes. I'm like, nah, it's more to this. This has to be worth more than just this, what it is on the simple, on the surface. That's where it started to like flourish. And I started digging deep into like, yo, how do I really go and get money? If I want to get credit card and I want to get funded and fund my own business, where do I, how do I get the money? So so in
3: 2015, right? You said January. Mm-hmm. What type of things are you doing to leverage your credit
4: at this point or in the beginning? Not at the beginning. I was trying to make money. Okay. So that was that was the business. That was the business that I had um, helping people, showing them how to make money. So when it came from like I remember working in the banks, helping helping people with it and they still couldn't get approved. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, I'm going, I'm looking now. And that's when I started really publicly helping people versus like, you know, when I was working before, when I'm working in the bank, going through all my trials, um, I could help people, but it was quiet. It wasn't like a marketed company. So now it's out publicly and I'm working it and it started bringing it in. So now I'm going, OK, this is my business. I'm making money off of it. I have good credit now. OK. What's the benefits and perks of it? Gotcha. Yeah, that's, and then at that point, that's when I start. The
5: legal mechanism for challenging an unlawful search of your home here in Nevada is a motion to suppress evidence. If a motion to suppress evidence is granted because the law enforcement search was unlawful, the evidence in your case will be excluded and the case against you will likely be thrown out. First time failure to register in the state of Nevada as a sex offender is a category D felony carrying a prison term of up to four years. Failure to register for a second time or more in the state of Nevada is a category C felony, which carries a prison sentence of up to five years. Additionally, you can only request the district court To eliminate your requirement of registration if you have registered for 15 years consecutively. So failing to register would cause that time clock to start anew and delay your ability to seek to have the court end that requirement.
6: You're watching FJTN, the Federal Judicial Television Network.
11: From Washington, D.C., the Federal Judicial Center and the U.S. Sentencing Commission present Sentencing and Guidelines, Basic Application. Here is your moderator for today's program, Nancy Filsouf. Hello, as you just heard, I'm Nancy Filsouf, and I'm a senior education specialist for the Federal Judicial Center. Welcome to this afternoon's broadcast on Sentencing and Guidelines, Basic Application. Uh, This is actually a third in the series of broadcasts on sentencing and guidelines that has been presented by the Federal Judicial Center in partnership with the United States Sentencing Commission. Let me tell you a little bit about this broadcast. We're going to be um, broadcasting for approximately two hours, and at that midpoint, we'll probably have a five-minute break. Now let me tell you more about the broadcast. What, we've, what we're going to do is a major portion of the broadcast. We are going to be showing a videotape of a training program that the United States Sentencing Commission uh, presented in Clearwater, Florida, not too long ago on basic applications. So, what we have done is we have divided this tape into four segments. And in between the segments, we have experts from the Sentencing Commission that we will introduce to you in a few minutes. And they will provide commentary on the segments and also they will answer your questions that you will be faxing in um, during the program broadcast. I'll give you the fax number in just a few minutes. Also, I want to show you that we have some information that you can find about the broadcast on the Federal Judicial Center, DCN, website and there's a lot of very good information about the sentencing commission in here so i really urge you to get this information if you haven't already done so also in this packet you will notice that we have provided for your convenience a fax form that you can use when you are faxing in your questions to us now before i forget let me give you the fax number it's one eight hundred four eight eight also this program has been approved for continuing legal education credit or CLE and you can find out how to apply for this credit also by going to the Federal Judicial Center DCN website I believe I'm finished with my announcements what I'd like to do is to introduce to you my colleagues from the Sentencing Commission First of all, we have Rusty Burrows, who is the principal advisor in the commission. And we also have Rachel Pierce, who is an education and sentencing practice specialist. And both are from the Office of the Education and Sentencing Practice. Well Rusty and um, Rachel, welcome to the program. So glad you're here today. Thank you so much, Nancy and I know that you do have some comments that you want to provide to us before we start the first segment. So, Rachel, why don't you start first? Thank you, Nancy. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Sentencing Commission, I'd like to welcome you to Sentencing and Guidelines Basic Application. Today, on the pre-recorded videotape, you will be seeing instruction from Andy Purdy in the Office of General Counsel, Frank Larry, in the Office of Education and Sentencing Practice, and Rusty Burris. As, Je- as Nancy mentioned earlier, this videotape was originally taped at the 8th Annual National Seminar on Sentencing Guidelines, which occurred in Clearwater, Florida in 1999. Rusty, would you like to tell us a little bit more about how the broadcast is going to go today? be glad
12: to. Uh, As you know from the title of our program today, the focus is on basic guidelines application. And we're going to do that by breaking it down into four segments. In the first segment, we're going to look at uh, some of the general application principles. We'll look at the Chapter 2 guidelines for offenses. We'll also look at the Chapter 3 adjustments. In our second segment, we'll look at criminal history determinations and also how to use the sentencing table in coming up with an appropriate guideline range. Uh, In the third segment, we'll look at relevant conduct, and then in the fourth segment, we'll look at multiple counts with just a brief uh, look at departures. Now, after segments one and three, uh, Rachel, you and I will be coming back to just make a few comments. Uh, After segments two and four, uh, we'll be coming back to take the uh, questions that the uh, viewers will be asking us. Uh, and in terms of the.
5: of getting the charges reduced or dismissed or avoiding being a sex registrant? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I defend people who are charged with possession of child pornography, the greatest challenge is often an emotional one, getting them ultimately to reconcile their behavior to forgive themselves. Sometimes, in fact, the courts are more forgiving than the individual. We often get results where a person is placed on probation, has uh, no jail time and is ultimately able to clear the child pornography charge off their record. And here at Las Vegas Defense Group, we've had a lot of success in doing that. Absolutely. I'm Michael Becker, an attorney with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you're under investigation for possession of child pornography, call me and we'll talk about what we can do to get your charges reduced or dismissed.